Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. Welcome to Baptism Sunday. Is everybody else excited? Sweet, good, 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 excellent. Um, so, uh, a few weeks ago, um, I actually happened to be talking about uh, to Gabby uh, about baptism. Sorry, Gabby didn't know I was going to talk about her. Um, <laughs> and so, no, all good stuff. And so, we we're talking about baptism, and um, when she got baptized. And um, she didn't remember every detail about her baptism, which, which is fine. But she did remember the fact that she knew that it was a celebration, which brought me joy, right? Because I, I, you need to know that baptism is indeed a celebration. Uh, it, because it's, it's the celebration of the best possible news, that someone has new life in Jesus Christ, Right? So it's time to celebrate. And so um, as we celebrate baptisms here at Vanguard Bible Church, uh, we thought it would be good to have a teaching on baptism this morning. Now, again, this, this is more of a teaching than a sermon. And so if I look a little uncomfortable or more uncomfortable than usual, I have never preached a topical anything like this. So, so bear with me as I do this. Uh, one of the reasons for this that we thought it would be important is to create a resource. And so in the future, like my prayer, my hope and prayer like yours is we're going to have people coming in who, who, who are new to the faith and they're going to get baptized. And so at some point they're going to say, how do I get baptized or what is baptism about? And then we could use today's teaching and that we could tell them, hey, watch this, like watch this teaching. This is what Vanguard believes about baptism with that in mind, this teaching is only going to be about what Vanguard believes about baptism and what we are doing today, which consequently means, although it's very interesting, I am not going to go over every view on baptism this morning. It's great discussion, but we're not going to go there. We're not going to go through history. We're not going to go through denominations. We are going to talk about what it looks like here and what we're doing later on this afternoon. Now, don't worry, we will, we will address some very common questions that I've heard from many of you, like, well, how does, how does baptism correlate to my salvation, right? Or, or even, does baptism save us in any sense? Uh, who can get baptized? When should you get baptized? These are all, those are the right questions to ask, and we will be covering those. And so our sermon, or actually, no, our teaching today is called baptism. Like very creative. Let me pray for us before we start. <clears throat> Lord, what a great topic. What a, what a joy and privilege it is to talk about baptism. What, what a joy to have a congregation that responds to, to you and to the command to be baptized. We learned last week, Lord, in John 14, that we know if we're a Christian or not by how we love Jesus, and we know how and if we love Jesus by being obedient. And so, um, this morning, I hope you know that this is a church that loves you and wants to be used for your glory, Lord. And so I ask for all of us today, maybe um, th those who have already been baptized um, would still be blessed by 
really understanding uh, maybe some things they didn't realize about what happened at their baptism, Lord. And so and may, may your spirit talk to us. May your spirit preach a better uh, sermon and teaching than me this morning. And we do all these things, Lord, to the glory of Jesus. Amen. All right. So when we're talking about baptism, including the 10 baptisms that we're going to do later, which is amazing, we are talking about water baptism. Now, we usually don't say water baptism. Why don't we say water baptism? Because it's assumed, right? If somebody says, oh, I'm going to get baptized, we assume, well, there's going to be, there's going to be water involved. And that's true. Yet, to fully understand baptism, to understand what we're going to do today, we need to go a step backward and look at another baptism. The first baptism, which is baptism in the Spirit, or baptism of the Spirit, or, or being born again. And I use that term this morning, spirit baptism, intentionally. And I know there's a lot of confusion uh, in, in the last little while about that term, spirit baptism. Um, but I'm using that very intentionally because I want to correlate how spirit baptism, uh, how it relates to water baptism. And I think the two are absolutely related to each other. And I get this term, in con- this term and concept from 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Where Paul writes, for in one spirit, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. And so that means this morning, if you're a Christian here, it is because of the Holy Spirit, right? And this is exactly what we read in John 3. In John 3, 5. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so we're talking about being born in the Spirit. What we're talking about is a word maybe um, you've heard before called regeneration. And so it's, you know, theologians use this word very often, regeneration. You've had to be regenerated in order to be saved. You had to be regenerated in the Spirit in order to see Jesus as he is. Now, according to uh, one of my favorite theologians, Louis Burkhoff, he says, regeneration consists in the implanting of the principle of the new spiritual life in a man and a radical change of the governing disposition of the soul, which under the influence of the Holy Spirit gives birth to a new life that moves in a Godward direction. And that, that, that is absolutely correct. And so if you've been born in the Spirit, or if you're wondering if you've been born in the Spirit, you will know because something about you has changed. (laughs) Something about you has changed, man. Like the way you think, the way you make decisions, your heart, your engine, that thing that drives you is different. It now does something insane. It goes in the most unlikely of directions. All of a sudden, everything about you is going toward God. That is not your default setting. That is nobody's default setting. It's not even an option. The natural person does not care about the gospel. Not only that, the natural person hates the gospel. 
As it says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Which means when somebody reads something like Romans 10, uh, verses 9 and 10, which says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so there's two ways people respond to this, right? And we already read that in 1 Corinthians 2.14. On the one hand, people are going to say, and you've heard them say, nonsense. Like, get out of here. What are you talking about that doesn't make sense, that is, that is not true? And they have a thousand excuses about how it's not true, it's not real, they're not going to follow it. Or, I would say like most of us here this morning, we hear that exact same thing, and we're like, yes, I'm in. I believe. I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. I confess it. I will confess it publicly. I believe that is true. And yet you can only have that response. You can only have that second response if you've been born in the Spirit. There's just no other way. And it is through Spirit-born faith that we are saved. In Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are saved through faith, which we receive through the Spirit. Okay. You're like, where am I going with this? What does this have to do with water baptism? That's what we want to hear about, James. Like, this is Baptism Sunday. Why aren't we talking about water baptism? Why are we talking about spirit baptism? Well, for one... It answers a very important question, one of the most important questions, and that is, does water baptism save you? Or, how does it even correlate? How, what, is, what does that look like linearly? Does water baptism save you? What do you guys think? No. No? All right. See, we've had this conversation before. So what saves you is faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ is what saves you. Now, being saved, and again, this is how they correlate, is what qualifies you for baptism. Right? So that question is pretty easily answered now, isn't it? Like, there, there's, that's pretty clear. You are saved by faith that you got from your baptism in the Spirit. Now you can get water baptized. And here's the deal. If you get baptized and you don't have that, you know what you're doing? You're just taking a bath, right? You're just going for a swim. There, there's just, we'll have fun, but oh, we're not going to have that joy. And so this also answers another question, which is who should get baptized? Who should get baptized? And we find the answer in Matthew 28, 18 and 19. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So who should get baptized? The disciple? Is that what I heard? Exactly. The follower of Jesus who has already been saved and now is being obedient to that command to get baptized. 
As we learned last week, how do you know if you're a follower of Jesus? You obey him, right? It's pretty clear. You know if you're a Christian, if you love Jesus, and not just if you know or love Jesus, but that if you obey, right? Which brings us, brings us to baptism. What is baptism? Besides just getting dunked in water, besides getting water up your nose and, and your makeup running, you know, I, I do know makeup has come a long way, so I don't think that's a concern this morning. <clears throat> but, and so uh, the baptism, the Greek word, it's so easy to, and friendly to learn. In Greek, baptism is baptismo, right? Nobody even tried to translate it, right? Just baptismo. We can all remember that. What does that mean? It means to immerse, to submerge, you know, submerge, submarine, going down in the water like we do in baptism, right? And yes, I submerge faster than others, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> to make clean with water. And so the goal of baptism is all those things, but that's not the point of it. The point is that this is, baptism is pointing to something else. It is symbolic of something else. And here's the thing that people forget about symbolism is that symbolism points to something that's real. Right? And this is where my bachelor's degree in poetry, nobody laugh, my bachelor's degree in English poetry lets me know, informs me that symbolism points to something that is real. So when we get baptized, it's pointing to a reality, which we're going to see later in Romans 6, where Paul is telling them, like, yes, you did this, but did you know everything that took place when you did that? Now, what I hear often is the definition of baptism that all of you have heard. Baptism is an outward sign of an inner transformation. We've all heard that, yes? And it's true-ish. There's nothing not true about that. There's nothing not true about that statement. In fact, I would agree because the, the natural person isn't voluntarily saying, yes, please dunk me in water in front of everybody. Right? So there's an inward transformation that's cool with that. So amen, we should get baptized because that does show an inner transformation. The point is if we look at it like that, and if we look at it through the, the eyes of Paul, he says, like, you've completely missed all this stuff that's happening on a cosmic level. There's so much more going on with our baptism. It's a wedding. It's a funeral. It's a birthday all in one. And that's what we're going to look at today in Romans 6, how our baptism symbolizes a wedding, a funeral, and a birthday. Let me rephrase that. Our wedding, our funeral, and our birthday in Christ. And so let's start with marriage. Does anybody ever contemplate like, or, or correlate baptism with marriage? Has anybody ever thought of that? A little bit? Okay. Yeah, and to be quite honest, um, I completely ripped off John Piper on that. That was not an original thought of mine. Like, my thoughts aren't that high. But once it clicked, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah, that is, that's what all this means. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> baptism points to something incredible and beautiful, and that is our union, right? Our union, our marriage with Jesus. This is not talked about enough in our faith, our union with Christ, and yet, it is essential. It is how the gospel works. 
Did you know that's how the gospel works, our union with Christ? You know that's how it's applied to us? You know that that's what makes our belief in something work for us and apply for us is our union? We don't just believe that Jesus existed, but we are united with him, right? There's something, that's what makes Christianity different. We don't believe something that's separate from us. We, our belief unites us in that truth. That is why when we were baptized by the Holy Spirit, we received all the benefits already of being in Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, all of it. We already have it. And so what didn't happen, which, I, which is... A very common belief, and this is a common belief from people because the church has failed. Many churches have failed at this. Your baptism doesn't save you. Your baptism is not a VIP card. Just because you get baptized doesn't mean you could show up at heaven's door with your lanyard and your picture and saying, it's cool, I'm with Jesus, right? I have the merits of Jesus, that's what this says, I got baptized, so we're cool. Not at all. The gospel is that we are united with Christ. It's mysterious. It's intimate. But we are united. We show up with the merits of Christ in us. Like we are in Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul, um, and I learned this this week, the Apostle Paul mentions union with Christ 164 times. 164 times. And I didn't count them. I read that. So, But now, pay attention. How many times does, does, is Paul's argument, his argument is in Christ, because we are in Christ. And so his whole theology is built around union with Jesus. He mentions this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So union, right? He doesn't say I believe in this abstract thing that's outside of myself. He says I have been crucified. I mean, listen to that language. It is very clear in the language. He's saying he has been crucified. Why? Because he is united with Christ. Concerning this doctrine of union, A.W. Pink declared, the subject of spiritual union is the most important, the most profound, and yet the most blessed of any that is set forth in sacred scriptures. And how many, how many of us even operate from that mindset and make decisions based on our union with Christ? I mean, it would change the way we do everything. I've talked to some of you this week about that, about how you make decisions. Do you consider that whenever you do something, you are doing it with Christ? I think that would help us repent, right? If you knew you were doing something and you were forcing Jesus to do it with you, right? That's a different mindset. And so in baptism, we have this public, visible celebration. What would we call that in our culture? Public visible celebration of a union. Did I hear marriage? Yes, so yes, marriage or the, or the marriage ceremony. <clears throat> because baptism, it shows the world, or at least our world, our personal world. It shows our friends. It shows our family. 
Um, it shows our new family that through this union that we have now, which we experienced this morning, right, when we were baptized into Christ by the Spirit, we have this new family. So it's like getting married where you have this whole new family, only we like to hang out with each other, right? So totally great, awesome new family. And so you have this ceremony that says what? When you have a marriage ceremony, I'm committed to this person, Right? I am all in. This is the most, this relationship is so important that my identity is different. I'm not single this person or that person anymore. From now on, my identity will be based on this relationship, right? And that's what's happening in baptism. I am identifying that this relationship with Christ is the most important relationship. Identify me as don't identify me as anything else except being with Christ, as being a Christian. John Piper said this. Um, I'll quote him since I ripped him off. Um, John Piper said about the analogy of marriage, With this ring, I thee wed, when we say that, we don't mean that the ring or the putting on of the ring on the finger is what makes us married. So similarly, Paul is saying, with this baptism, you are united to Christ. You guys see the connection there? In, in that ceremony, right? And so baptism doesn't save us. It doesn't unite us. But just like that ring doesn't make you married, but it points to the fact that that union exists. And despite what you may hear anywhere else, Jesus is never going to sever that union, and you can't do anything to sever that union. And if you don't believe me, well, next week we're starting back in John and John 15, and we'll spend weeks on that. And, and it's going to encourage us. It's going to be great. And so from wedding, I want to turn to funeral. Now, when we think of funerals, what are, we, what are our emotions during a funeral? Like I was just at one. Bummer. Right? Sadness, depression, it, it is, you, don't, you do not feel good. You feel just overwhelming sadness and loss. And rightfully so. You should feel that way. In fact, if I've counseled any of you on, on, on loss or, or grief, what do I tell you? Pain demands to be felt. Like, feel it. You should feel that way. Rightfully so. But not so your funeral in Christ. This is different. And so let's look at Romans 6. Verses 3 and the first part of 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. It couldn't be more clear. And I think after, I think about nine months of, of me being here, you guys probably know my favorite chapter of the Bible is Romans 6. It's crazy. Right? Death is mentioned a dozen times. Like, let there be, this isn't, like, there's no room for debate. This is not a gray area. It says if you have been baptized, you've been baptized into his death. This isn't me being morbid. So what baptism is being talked about here? What baptism is Paul talking about? I believe he's talking about both. But when he's talking about the benefits here, he's talking about spirit baptism, because it's spirit baptism that's going to unite us to Christ. 
It's by being baptized in the Spirit that we were crucified with Christ, like Paul would say. I don't believe in the crucifixion alone. I believe that I was crucified with Christ, and therefore we have died. Well, what's good about that? What's good about that, right? It gets quiet. Whoa, that's what, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm doing later? I'm just saying that I'm dying, that this is my funeral? Well, now I'm less excited about that. But, of course, if you believe the gospel, which is why I would be baptizing you, you know that Jesus doesn't stay dead, right? So it's great. It's, it's a great thing. The conquering of death is a benefit of union with Jesus. It's an integral aspect of our union and how one baptism points to the next. In fact, in this passage, I think technically in this passage, Paul is, is telling the Romans, he's referencing their water baptism. Because he's saying, hey, remember when you guys got baptized, which leads me to believe he is talking about them getting water baptized, but he's talking about the benefits of spiritual baptism and telling you how closely linked they are. Well, if you got baptized, it's because you were born again. If you were born again, you need to know when your baptism took place, all this took place as well. You died. That's Paul's argument. You were crucified and died with Christ. Consider the act of baptism itself and going into the water. Going into the water at baptism. Why? Why, when it is so much easier to just fall forward into the water or to just drop into the water or just kneel down in the water, why do we choose the most awkward, difficult way to baptize people? Why do we look like this and depend on other people and lower ourselves into the water? Why is that? It's a funeral. We want to make sure everybody knows, like your arms are crossed, you are dying. This is a funeral. That's why we go out of our way, even though, yes, that is the hardest way. And you have to trust me this afternoon that, I'm, that you're going to come back out of the water. In baptism, we declare the death of Christ and therefore our death including, as, it would, as Paul would later say in Romans, the death to sin itself. Like, we're not a slave to sin anymore. We died to that. Our old self was a slave to sin, new self, not a slave. You could still sin, but hey, that's your choice now. You're not a slave to do it anymore. And so we repent. We repent to the expectations and philosophy of the world. We die to a world that would crucify Christ and instead say, we're going to identify with the one the world is killing Right? We repent and die to the world that would crucify Christ and instead cling to Christ and say, crucify me. I'm on team Jesus. Even if, even if I have to die, this is the side that I want to be on. And we do this because we believe him. Right? We believe him. That's what faith is. We believe when he says he conquered death that he conquered it. And we have that proof through the resurrection. And so we go into the water symbolically showing our death. But we don't stay there, right? How awful would baptism be if it was just, yeah, I'm just going to hold you under the water. That's it. <clears throat> so let's go back to Romans 6.4 
And this time we'll read the whole verse all the way through. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so what we have here is a birthday. Right? So at, at your baptism, you also have your birthday. This is the reason we pull people out of the water, and people clap, and people are excited. And it's a celebration. You've been born again. You have a new life in Christ. Not only eternal life, which is awesome, but a new life today. Like, you have a new life that you get to live today in Christ. We get to live in a way that reflects, right, that inner transformation. We find this echoed in Paul with Paul again in Colossians 2.12, where he says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who has raised him from the dead. And so again, baptism of the Spirit. You are baptized into the death of Christ so that you can be raised with Christ. And even later on in Romans, when Paul talks about, how, well, how was Jesus raised from the dead? Didn't the Father, uh, we were talking, I was talking about this with Gianna. Well, if Jesus, if it says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Well, what happened to the Trinity there? What happened to God? And so we know that it was the Holy Spirit, even though the Father forsook the Son. The Holy Spirit didn't. The Holy Spirit held on the entire way, and we know that what raised Christ from the dead was the Holy Spirit, which is now inside of us. Right? So the, the baptism is pointing to the baptism of the Spirit. So we already have the power to be resurrected in us today. And so coming out of the water, it points to all Jesus has done for us and all that we are in in him. Now, it, speaking of the awesomeness of new birth, um, Charles Spurgeon, he says, it is a wonderful thing that the Lord would condescend to give new birth to the marred creature. That's us. It is, a, it is wonderful because of the grandeur of the relationships into which we are introduced. We are now children. If the poorest of the earth was elevated to royal favor, men would wonder at it. But it would be trifling compared to rising from being a slave of Satan to a son of God. Our first birth makes us sons of Adam. The second makes us sons of God. It's unfathomable. It's almost uh, scandalous and unreasonable. You know, Spurgeon's argument. Do you realize what, what, what baptism is pointing to? You know, I, I love that comparison. It, it, it is going from the absolute worst. It's not like going from, from poor to rich. I mean, we see that a little bit. We see that with athletes, right, who are raised in, in a poor area, but then come and, and have a skill and make just a ton of money. But to go from being marred creatures to spiritually blind, walking dead, you have no possibility of even knowing who God is, to you are a child of God, right? By, by Jesus, by faith in the gospel. It, it is so insane to think about. That is why I suggest don't just celebrate your birthday, but celebrate your baptism, You've been born again. Celebrate that. 
I want to talk about an evangelism tool. Invite people to your baptism, you know, birthday. Explain to them what that is. Yeah, I was born again, yeah, and, but I'm not going to die. Yeah, share the gospel with them. Remember this day. Those of you who are getting baptized today, remember this day. I never cease to be in awe of what happened. We do not cease to be in awe of Jesus. Which leaves us really with only one question that we haven't really addressed, um, because it's not mentioned in in Romans 6, but it was in Matthew 28 where we already were. Uh, When does one get baptized? Man, oh man, is there some theories on this. If you were going to a different church, you'd be in a long waiting list. You, oh man, it, it might be a year or more before you were baptized. And so that, that is not our philosophy, though. So uh, our philosophy comes from Acts chapter 8. And so in Acts chapter 8, there's this uh, amazing disciple of Jesus uh, named Philip, who, um, if you know the story, uh, there's an Ethiopian eunuch who is riding in a chariot, uh, reading the book of Isaiah, <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit directs Philip, catch up to him, right, and, and preach the gospel to him. And so this Ethiopian, all of a sudden, I don't know why he doesn't question it, but all of a sudden Philip catches up to him and the the Ethiopian says, I'm having a hard time understanding this. Why is he having a hard time? Because it's a book of Isaiah? Yes, right? That's just a gimme? Yeah, so it's not a new thing, right? If you're struggling with the book of Isaiah, not a new concept. But he has Philip here and Philip explains it to him, especially the book of Isaiah points to Jesus. Like, like, so much, like there's just so much that points to Christ in Isaiah, but he uses all of Scripture to point the, the, this Ethiopian to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus. Where then in verses 36 and 38 we read, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And so we believe that if you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we see that, that you can get baptized. And so, you know, in Matthew 28, it mentions becoming a disciple. So being born of the Spirit, because you wouldn't become a disciple otherwise. It's foolishness otherwise. You then get baptized. So if you understand the gospel... You can get baptized. And then again in Matthew 28, it talks about then coming under the ministry of the word and the teaching of the word. So you do not have to wax intellectual on every theological doctrine to get baptized. You might not even have a great doctrine of baptism. You can get baptized. And so that is why many of you, we've already had this conversation. When you said, James, I want to get baptized, you all heard the same questions. What are you talking about? Who's this Jesus guy? Tell me. Tell me about Jesus. Hey, let's talk about sin. Everybody wants to talk about sin. Let's talk about sin. What are your thoughts on sin? How do you feel about it? How about the church? Is it optional? What are your feelings about the church? Because we know that if you love Jesus, you're going to love what Jesus loves and hate what Jesus hates. How about time? How about resources? Those are all things that are going to immediately change. And I know if you have a new heart and new mind, even if you haven't changed everything in your life, you've at least thought about them differently. Because I know some of you have said, well, I still have this area that I'm working on. Well, that's good because you wouldn't know it was an area to work on unless you had that gift of faith. 
Another great indicator is somebody like this Ethiopian. When you have enough faith, when you have that new mind, that new heart, that as soon as you pass by a body of water and you ask, like, what prevents me from being baptized? If you can't walk by water without asking why you aren't being baptized, that tells me it's time for you to be baptized. And so as elders of this church, what we look for, what I look for, and you've, you've heard me say multiple times, is I am not going to push anybody to get baptized. I do not get any extra credit in heaven for how many baptisms I do. I, do, I hope I do, but I, don't, but I don't know that. And so I have no motivation to baptize anybody who is not ready. And I know somebody's ready because I know they're not ready if I'm having to beg somebody. I'm not going to do that. But if you're like the eunuch, and like, what's stopping me? And so if you're, if you're ready to push me into the water for you to get baptized, that's a good sign. Because that, that is not somebody, something a normal person does. And so if you, if you want to get baptized, then yes, absolutely, um, we should get baptized. I'm going to have to save a lot of my voice today. It's going to be a long day. <clears throat> So the first person that asked to be baptized at this church was Tyler. So all good stuff. I'm not going to embarrass you. Um, so how old are you, Tyler? Twelve. That's what I thought. I was. So Tyler is 12, and she was the first person to reach out to me to get baptized. I don't believe I'd even talked about baptism yet from the pulpit. Hadn't mentioned it. Didn't say we're going to have baptism Sunday, anything. She emailed me said, I've talked to my parents, I'm ready to get baptized. And so in other words, like, she's waiting on me. Like, <laughs> wait until I'm ready. Well, I'm ready. And so on the authority that I have in Christ, I'm ready to baptize at least 10 people today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, guys, let's get cleaned up and then let's get baptizing. Let me pray for us. God. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.